0: Trail people, How's it going? Hope all is well. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast today. Our guest is one of the all-time legends, one of the greats of this era in trail running, and one of the most requested guests in podcast history. Mr. Zach Miller is finally here for a fun interview all about what he's been up to recently. Zach will need no introduction to most of you, but for those newer to the sport, you may have never had the opportunity to, to see this incredible athlete take the start line and race in his trademark, aggressive, heroic style, often resulting in the most entertaining and impressive performances that have inspired trail runners around the world. Unfortunately, Zach has been off the racing circuit for the last few years due to injury. In fact, until running and winning the Andorra by UTMB race at the end of June, Zach hadn't even started in Ultra since UTMB of 2019, nearly three full years ago. Of course, Zach has done a bunch of interviews over the course of his career, so I wanted to orient our conversation around the injury cycle itself and sort of see how he's emerged on the other side with a new perspective. We talked all about the injury that he's been dealing with, the surgery that he had performed in 2020, the emotional toll of being on the shelf for so long as a pro athlete and how he's battled through never giving up on the belief that he'd be able to, get back to competing and performing at his best. Like I said, Zach made his triumphant return to racing about a month ago at the end of June by winning the super tough 105 kilometer race in Andorra as part of the UTMB World Series. In doing so, successfully punching his ticket back to the UTMB Mont Blanc, which he intends to do later this month. Get your popcorn ready. As usual, the Free Trail Podcast is made possible by our presenting sponsor, Speedland, the startup footwear brand from Portland, Oregon, founded by industry titans, Dave Dombrow, Kevin Fallon. Specifically for the trail running world, these guys are doing incredible things, especially for basically just a two-man startup. Speedland is quite simply making the highest quality trail equipment in the game. The SLHSV is out now. The super sleek, black trail weapons are some of the best and most well-designed shoes ever made if you haven't tried speedland yet you owe it to yourself to go grab a pair visit runspeedland.com tell them free trail sent you okay zach miller let's go Zach Miller, old buddy. How's it going, man? Welcome to the podcast. Oh, good. Thanks for having me, Dylan. I'm so excited to finally have you on the show. Of course, uh, you're a fan favorite and I frequently requested guest, and we're finally putting it together. You're broadcasting from the Zach Shack, your mobile home there. Where where are you right now? I know you've been on the road for uh, a bit.
1: Yeah, I'm I kind of been all over. I'm in I'm in Woodland Park right now, Woodland Park, Colorado. Oh, which nice. is
0: just above
1: just above Colorado Springs. So basically I'm in the springs. We've just been doing some shooting uh today and tomorrow up uh today we're up near Rampart Range Reservoir. So I just popped down the town <laughs> to do the pod.
0: <laughs> awesome, man. Yeah, beautiful area there. Um, well, cool. Well, you know, obviously you've done a lot of pods, but, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of fun stuff for us to talk about and you've been on a bit of a journey with injury and now coming through that, it seems like with a fantastic victory at the Andorra by UTMB race, 105 K just a few weeks ago and I want to talk all about that. But uh before we get to that, I want to tell the story of uh when I had to take you to the hospital at the North Face Athlete Summit a few years ago, because I don't think we've ever really spoken about this publicly. And even though it was uh a little scary in real time, uh, you know, at least for me, it was a fairly entertaining episode. So maybe uh tell the story of what happened there.
1: Uh yeah, we were down in um where were we? We were in Moab, I think, right?
0: We were in Sedona. Uh, no,
1: not Moab. We were in Sedona. Yeah. Yeah. We were down in Sedona, uh, Arizona for a athlete summit. And I was, I was running and I was just like, I had all this like pain in my chest. So I was like really having trouble, like breathing, like getting a full breath in. Um, like it wasn't like my heart wasn't necessarily like, well, maybe it was racing because I couldn't really get oxygen <laughs> properly. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I just had, like, all this chest pain. And, like, I couldn't, like, every time I, like, took a breath in, it was just, like, it really hurt. Uh, So I probably happened on, like, one or two runs. And then finally I, like, found you. And I was like, hey, can you uh, take me to the ER? Can you take me to the ER? hospital? (laughs) Yeah, I got to get, like, checked out. Like, I can't breathe right. So we went in there. And, uh, yeah, they did, like, they did some tests. And it didn't really come out to be much. I think they basically just thought like I had some inflammation in there that maybe I had taken a fall or something and inflamed something. And they gave me some meta, like some anti-inflammatory to take and it basically Uh, cleared it up. Well, Um, I mean,
0: to add my color to it, I mean, we had gone on a run that afternoon, just a short one. I think it was like, yeah, 60, 90 minutes or something. And I had we were talking just like about your training and all the stuff that you have going on. And from memory, I remember you saying something like I've just been running like four or five hours a day, you'd been on the road sort of living in your truck and in true Zach Miller fashion, just going full gas and totally bought in and doing four or five hours of training every day. So, but when I dropped you off at the hospital, I remember they like checked you in and brought you into the back and you fell asleep in like two minutes. You were (laughs) totally asleep in the back of the hospital. I was like, this is it, you know, you just need to sleep a little bit more, train a little bit less, you know, I don't think it's a a truly, uh, you know, life or health threatening issue. I think Zach Miller just goes full gas all the time. So, yeah,
1: I, yeah, I probably, yeah, I was training a lot. Um, but yeah, I, I still don't really know for sure what that was. I think the best I figured was when I ran down from bar camp to go to that athlete summit, some guy had like, paid me money to carry a sleeping bag to town (laughs) for so I like ran down with all my gear plus his sleeping bag on my back and I remember I fell somewhere along the way like real hard but I was like fine Uh and then I and then on the way out to Sedona I stopped and did like or to uh not yeah Sedona I stopped and did like a really big run um out in Lost Creek Wilderness and then I went and visited the Vargos and Flagstaff and it was smoky and I remember it being painful there. And I was like, well, maybe it was just like the smoke messing with me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then it just kind of got really bad down in Sedona. And
0: so, yeah, but I, uh, yeah, I would have been anyway. Lot, it was but, uh, it was all good, you know, but I think yeah, uh, it
1: cleared, it cleared up and, uh, it was one of those I things where right, I think you know the
0: fans of the sport would get a little chuckle out of it because basically yeah. you you ran yourself into the hospital because like you just go so hard all the time. And I actually wanted to talk about this. I think this is actually a fun place to start and just like your work ethic because like just thinking about you personally, like I've always known that you're you train super hard. Everybody knows that you race with just this deep determination and courage, and then thinking about living and working up at bar camp, it's long hours, it's physically strenuous, you're chopping wood, you're cooking meals, you're fetching water. Where does your work ethic come from? Like if you look back at your childhood or the people that were influential upon the person that Zach Miller is, where where do you think you get your work ethic from?
1: Yeah, probably just like growing up, just like everybody in my family is, hard worker (laughs) like uh there isn't really any you know there isn't really anyone lazy in my family so um and I think my dad my dad was always like working really hard doing a lot of physical labor and you know on a weekend we we did fun you know we did fun things for sure I played sports and we took the boat out and stuff like that but then there were also weekends where you know the weekend was like splitting you know like you know like collecting firewood or something you know with like my dad and my uncle and you know it'd be like saturday that's like just what you're doing you're just out there you know or maybe you know or even like it'll even be family oriented like um that you know we might maybe we're freezing corn we do a lot you know we grew up in a very rural area and you're like yeah. freezing corn it's just like a whole family activity and it's like a friday you go by like all the corn you can, like, you can get basically <laughs> not all, the, but you, a ton, you buy a ton of corn and then we just spend like all day, like, you know, just, you know, husking it and boiling it and cutting it off the cob, putting it in bags, putting it in the freezer, you know? And so just like all those activities were labor intensive. So yeah. I kind of think that's just stuff that was normal growing up to do. Um, so yeah, I think it just came from like that, that type of stuff. Um, So, yeah. And just like my sisters all got it. and Like everybody just kind of knew how to work hard.
0: Yeah. Well, clearly it's made you a great athlete. Where are you right now in your life? I mean, obviously you sort of put the bar camp period of your life and career in the rearview mirror, I think like what a year and a half or two years ago now and I know you've sort of been on the road back and forth between your home on the east coast where you grew up and in the mountain west where you spent a lot of time and you have this beautiful van where you're broadcasting from so yeah. maybe that's uh, at least a home much of the year but what does life look like right now for you
1: uh yeah I've been, I mean lately I've been bouncing a lot I've kind of just been on the road since like April um I was, yeah, I'm just kind of wherever I want to be. I was in Oregon for a good chunk of last year in, in Bend. I spent, I basically, you know, I, I got there in the summer and then I, I stayed for the fall. And then in the winter I hunkered down there and just did a lot of like skiing, like a lot of, I didn't do it. I didn't even uh, realize that, man. We were neighbors. yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I, I didn't do that. I didn't do nearly as much running this winter. Um, I did a lot of, uh, Nordic skiing, like a lot of skate skiing. And then in the spring, I did a bunch of split boarding, um, just skinning laps on my split board. Mm -hmm. Um, I also, I did, I ran too and rode my gravel bike as well, but like the winter was a lot of skiing. Um, so yeah, I was there for a while. Um, and then in like April, I just kind of hit the road. Um, and I've just been bouncing. I was like, let's see i i i helped iron far uh canyons 100k and then i went to tahoe and did a, a photo shoot and then i did a running camp in new mexico and yeah. then i went to colorado and trained for like a week or two then i t- drove my bus to pennsylvania and dropped it off at my parents place because it needed to get some inspections done and i went to europe while well, it got the inspections yeah. done so i was so I was over in Europe for like a month and then then I popped back to Oregon for like a week and then uh I then I went all the way back to Pennsylvania to see the family and do some vacation in, in Virginia and then I just uh and then it just uh drove out to Silverton the other week and paste yep. paste Maggie Gutierrez at Hard Rock. You're truly and living
0: the dream, man.
1: You're just Yeah, so I'm just gonna all over. Yeah, now I'm trying to kind of hunker down. I'm kind of trying to hunker down in Colorado now, at least uh, for like, at least to prep for UTMB. Yeah, I've been hanging out in the Springs. Uh, I know this area really well, so. Uh, Great place to
0: train for yeah. UTMB especially. Yeah, well, awesome. So well, let's let's talk all about that stuff in a little bit, but I want to just kind of, first rewind and talk about the last few years, because you've been on a journey, bro. And I think much of the sport was so happy to see you pull off that victory at Andorra, punch your ticket back to UTMB and sort of hopefully start to put this process of injury behind you. And obviously, I want to talk all about the race. But first, I want to, you know, talk about the injury and I want to read a recent Instagram post of yours just to open the door to this conversation. And of course, this comes from a post where there's a brilliant photo of you, you know, going 110% effort down the finishing shoot at the Andorra by UTMB race and trademark Zach Miller fashion, you know, with sort of like a twisted grimacing face, you can totally tell that you're fully selling out to secure this awesome victory. And I just want to read this long caption and then use it as a way to just kind of like open up the door on the rest of this conversation. Cause I think it's okay. beautifully written and uh, there's a lot of different angles that we could go from it. So Anyway, what you say is at 7 p.m. on Friday, June 24th in the tiny town of Ordino in the tiny country of Andorra, I stepped to the start line of the Trail 100 Andorra. At 9.20 a.m. the following morning, I was the first runner to reach the finish line. That's what you see in this picture. What you don't see is what happened before this. You don't see me failing to finish my last attempt at Ultra UTMB in 2019. You don't see the years of running with pain in my left foot, when the steps that were supposed to bring me joy brought a constant reminder of my brokenness. You don't see all of the mornings that I woke up, stepped out of bed and was immediately reminded of the pain in my foot, that I was still hurt. You don't see the scar on my ankle from the Hagelin surgery that I finally got in December of 2020 and the long journey back to running. You don't see the moments of doubt after surgery, still having pain, not knowing if it would ever fully subside. You don't see the creativity employed to keep the training going via bikes, skis, swim and the splitboard You don't see the moment about a month ago when the pain shifted to the inside of my heel and I wasn't sure that this race would happen. You don't see me visiting a physio in France and thinking about bailing on the plans to do this race. You don't see me traveling to Andorra amidst an eight day running break in which I spent many hours on the bike and many more worried about my foot. You don't see me getting so lonely, stressed and desperate that one night while praying, I simply asked for help. Nothing very specific, just help. That's what that's what you don't see. But you know what? You also don't see a lot of good things. You don't see all of the helpers along the way. You don't see the prayers of my parents or the supporters of my families and friends. You don't see the sponsors who stood faithfully by my side. You don't see my surgeon, Brian Crispel, who took such great care of me and told me I didn't have to pay him if I wasn't able to return to racing. You don't see my PT, Ryan Bear, who has guided and encouraged me along the way. You don't see the kindness of Yoder performance as he has checked in on me Over the years, always welcomed me to train with his amazing group of athletes. You don't see my awesome teammates who encouraged me, reached out to me and loaded me a bike and couch in France. You don't see my wonderful friends, Anne and Anthony, who welcomed me into their home in Andorra, fed me and massaged me and crewed for me during the race. And finally, you don't see the foot that got better and better and better after that night I asked for help. But here I am looking at this picture and I see all of it. And you know what? It feels pretty amazing. Now time for some rest because thanks to the UTMB World Series, this guy who lost all of his UTMB qualifications during the injury now has a ticket to a little show in late August. Let's see what we can do there. Grateful bro i mean that's like so goosebumps inducing and you're a great writer you're fantastic with words and i uh wanted to just read that all aloud i realize it was quite loud, uh, long but i think it's a great uh opportunity for us to talk about this whole journey that you've been on so maybe first just introduce uh the injury that you have been dealing with for the last few years you know what what was it just for the listening audience yeah
1: um i mean basically my feet were just a hot mess for the last few years um I actually had a I think in 2018 I actually developed a plantar fasciitis in my right foot um and that hindered me for a while and my left foot was fine and then somewhere along the lines my left foot got bad um kind of with like I guess like kind of with like some outside like lateral foot pain that we thought was maybe peroneal tendons. Um, but also some heel pain, um, that like most that was probably more like Haglund's, but like would kind of go away once I got warmed up. So we weren't real worried about, Mm -hmm. um, and everything just kind of snowballed. Eventually the, the right foot got better. The plantar fasciitis went awry. And then my left but my left foot was a wreck. Um, and so basically I had super bad mobility, uh, like dorsal flexion in my left side. I could like, you know, barely push my knee forward. Um, and I just had a lot of pain and it wasn't just in my heel. It was like that. I think that's why it was also so difficult because it was hard to figure out what was wrong because I just had like pain in multiple areas. Um, And so we'd try like one thing and it wouldn't really work. And I basically just banged my head against the wall for a long time, like still doing some running, still doing some racing, seeing different PTs and people trying different exercises, but like I would make progress, but I would always just kind of hit a wall. Like I could never like continue making progress. Um, so then after I left bar camp, I moved home to Pennsylvania. Um, for that's like for a year actually and bought my bus and built my bus out and during that time i uh i finally just went to get like second opinions basically yeah um and i saw um my pt brian bear who was helping me at the time recommended um my now surgeon brian Crispel. Crispel, um they're both in the philly area um i know some people go like to the Stedman Clinic, or go overseas to like uh, the guy in Sweden, know, sw- Sweden yeah. or wherever for all this stuff. Um, and I just kind of stayed at home, just in that Philly area, found some guys that you know I kind of you know liked and um, you know, just you know, just trusted them to do the work. Um, so What was Um, the moment like though,
0: when you decided to stop banging your head against the wall? Because I think this is an interesting thing to hear about in that you spent a lot of time doing the hard work of rehab and going back to how we started the conversation. I'm sure you took that rehab very, very seriously. At what point did you sort of like give in to the fact that you needed to undergo the Haglund's operation and maybe in answering that question, explain what the operation was.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, I think the pandemic helped. We were in the midst of the pandemic and nobody was really racing anyways. And we didn't really know when we'd be racing again. So I think that really helped. It was like, if there's ever a time to be on the sideline, it's now. Um, and the other thing, I think I was just so sick of the pain and, Like we didn't even know for sure if the Haglund's was the issue because some people have Haglund's and like they're asymptomatic. And like I said, like I did have Haglund's symptoms, but I also had pain elsewhere in my foot that was like not, I would say probably not typical Haglund's pain. Um, So, but, but with my surgeon, with Dr. Brian, he did the, he, we got all new imaging done, which, which I also learned that not all imaging is the same. Um, like you think an MRI is just an MRI, but you can actually get like, there's different like qualities of MRIs. Um, and so like, he encouraged me to get like a real good MRI that he was familiar with. Um, so that's what we did so that we just made sure we got a real good look at it. And it was very evident that there was a significant bone spur growing out the back of my heel, pressing into my Achilles tendon. Um, And that's what a Hegelin's deformity is. Um, And so he basically, that was the only like, that was the biggest glaring error he could see in the MRI, I guess, that I also had pain symptoms of. So he just, you know, we just kind of said, well, that's the main thing we can see. So let's just take it out. And if we take it out, maybe everything else will resolve too. Mm -hmm. Um, So then that's, that's what we did. And you know, it's a little, it's sort of a shot
0: in the dark, right? Cause it's it's not typical Haglund's symptoms. And so you're like, well, we might as well try this. I mean, there's probably probably a, a feeling of just like, desperation and hopelessness of like, please work type thing. Is that right? Yes.
1: Yeah. Somewhat. I mean, there it wasn't complete shot in the dark cause I did have pain there. Um, but I had pain elsewhere as well. So it was like, will taking that out, solve all the pain or just some of the pain, right. you know? Um, so yeah, but we, yeah, I, but I was just kind of at the end of my rope. So I just, you know, it, nothing else was really working. So I just, did that i, I think lost I, it all I, I, options it yeah, was really yeah one
0: of the only things left on the table probably i'm just remembering this now but both rob krarr and stephanie howe have had this same yeah. operation it's not uncommon did you reach out to them for advice or did they offer any uh um perspective? yeah I,
1: I i know that steph has had it and we've talked uh since um because we've kind of the the recovery process is long like i, I mean i would say I'm in some ways still going through it, even though like I'm back to racing and training and like doing way better than I was ever before. But it's still like if, if someone listening has had it and is like, well, my pain's not gone. It's like, well, my pain's not hundred percent gone either. Like I no. still have some irritation. If I do a big day, I can still feel something the day after the race, you know, I was definitely, it was definitely cranky, but then the next day it was pretty much normal. Um, so yeah, it's not like a magic light switch, but yeah, I talked to Rob, not so much Steph, mostly since I've had it, Mm -hmm. um, just kind of like sharing our experiences and, you know, that's nice to hear someone else's like, Oh, like, Oh, you still have pain too. Like you have pain when you wake up in the morning, all the steps are bad. It's like, Oh, okay. So I'm not the only one. And that's really helpful. Um, but Rob did talk to me, um, before, we did, uh, I forget if we talked on the phone or exchanged texts, but, um, yeah, we had, we had communicated beforehand and he had had it done on both of his heels at once. I think um, so did
0: Stephanie, I think, or maybe not at yeah. one time, but I think she had it on both feet too.
1: Yeah. I think she did have both feet and I can't remember. Ty- she might've had one and then the other, um, yeah. either way, she it's weird because yeah. Yeah. Either way it's brutal. Cause one way you have like twice the recovery, the other way you like have two bum feet at the same time. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, it's brutal either way. Um, but yeah, those guys were, it was great to have those guys yeah. to talk to about it.
0: Yeah. Good. Yeah. And I recall like Galen Rupp just had this recently and I was just watching the track and field world championships and Donovan Brazier uh, said that he's about to go get the surgery like next week. I think he was in yeah. the hundred meter last night. So something that a lot of runners have had to confront, but yeah, complicated surgery, a hard recovery. And I want to talk a little bit more about what that recovery and rehab has looked like, but I'd also love to hear you talk about like the emotional side of this whole journey, because like This Instagram caption, it's a beautiful articulation of just like what has been going on internally for you. And I can't remember another time where you've truly like acknowledged that, like the pain that comes from it, you know, on a personal, emotional level from injury. And I remember, you know, over the last couple of years, just thinking how well it seemed that you were dealing with this, you know, just like admirably at peace with this injury cycle. Because like when I was hurt in 2019, I was a total mess, you know. I was posting sob stories on Instagram and like totally depressed and in therapy and stuff. And I wondered if you'd talk about the emotional roller coaster that you've been on with this injury cycle.
1: Yeah, I I don't think uh I don't I wouldn't say I was at peace really at all during the process. Um but I think I'm just not really like uh, I'm not really the type of person to like talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, after a while, I really just kind of get sick of talking about it. Like it, after a while, it seems like it's all anyone asks you about, because it's like running is what people know you to do and know you for. And so then all they the main thing they ask you about in life is like running. And so then when you're injured, they either ask you about running and then that leads to talking about being injured or they ask you about being injured because they know you're injured. Uh, and that relates to the running. <laughs> uh, and so you just end up talking about the injury all the time. And after a while, it's like you're just sick of talking about the injury, which is like, and also because it's frustrating because you don't really have any hard set answers for people. Like, right. you know, they want to know like how long you'll be out or what you're racing next or, you know, what or what the problem is. And sometimes you don't have any of those answers. Um, and so it's just kind of a hard, place to be like I know with uh like with my family in particular like my mom will always ask me but like after a while I'm just like I probably don't do a very good job of answering her because it's just like I don't like want to talk about this anymore like it's just like I'm like every morning I wake up I'm reminded when I as soon as I get out of bed you know as soon as my foot hits the floor that I'm hurt and that's pretty crummy You know, so I don't really need any additional reminders, you know, and then you can also feel guilty that, well, maybe I'm not doing all I should be doing to get better, you know, so you can be really hard on
0: yourself. Um, But like an athlete like you, though, Zach, I mean, like you're one of the best in the world and like people love watching you race and you've done so many crazy, amazing things and you've had so many of these just sort of like historic victories that people like look back on with just deep inspiration. And then to like come crashing down to not be able to race for a couple of years, it's gotta be really tough for you, right? Like, did did, yeah, you, I mean, did you feel like a loss of identity and stuff during this period?
1: I mean, I think... Like, I, I so one thing that I picked up uh, that I learned in college from my college coach was he would always say, like, never too high, never too low. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, like, don't let your highs get too high, don't let your lows get too low. You just kind of stay somewhere in the middle, which is, in a sense, maybe sorts sounds kind of like a crummy life philosophy because you're like, man, I want to live on the high, right? Um, but, like, I f- that has really stuck with me, especially through my ultra running careers just uh, because it's like a roller coaster, man, like even just oh. like wins and losses. Um, but like, especially with injury. So like, I feel like I kind of tried to adopt that during the process of just like never too high, never too low, just kind of somewhere in the middle and keep my head down. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but still like there was definitely a low side, um, um, You know, and probably not too many high sides, you know, maybe the occasional day where it's like, oh, wow, I felt like really good today. But that was pretty like few and far between. Um, So I think, I don't know, I think maybe in some way that helped me. I think in terms of identity... I, I mean, I was still always me. Um, but like people are asking other, you what's
0: next, right? And, and yeah, when you are it's, answering that it's question,
1: rough, it's rough when people start saying they think you've retired or they, or they start suggesting maybe you should pursue something else in life. That's kind of, oh, I think that mostly happened back home. Um, like in Lancaster, it's very huh. like, it's, you know, it's a very like, Blue collar area, you know. I think kind of like a, you know, I, I feel like it's kind of the area you grow up in where most parents would be like, oh, let's be sensible and like let's get a good job and not chase these crazy dreams, you know. Sure, yeah. So like, you know, and I think most people they didn't mean poorly, you know, you know, but it's just like um, I think kind of like when I moved back home, when I was back in PA for a year and I was hurt, you know, I think maybe some people could just kind of thought I was sort of out of the sport. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know that a ton did, but it, you kind of got that vibe. Or, or I remember there was a guy. There was a there was a guy over at my parents' house one day, and he was like, he's like, oh, like, like maybe, like he might have been asking me if I had like a Plan B, or he's like, oh, your brother-in-law could like use some help with his H, HVAC business, like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and it's like, oh, well, yeah, yeah, like <laughs> I'm I'm still kind of planning to keep doing my job here but yeah uh, wow yeah it's but it's uh you know it's so that but you know you just kind of like you can't let those people live in your head too much you just kind of gotta like you know be like hold on to what you want and like you know you know go I don't know like if that's what you want and that's what you're committed to doing you just kind of gotta hold on which is I guess what I did um I, I think one of the hardest things though, one of the hardest things though, I think was feeling like I like I couldn't really do my job, if that yeah. makes sense.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, brutal, brutal so feeling when you're collecting a paycheck and being yeah, injured that's and, like yeah. the
1: worst thing. Like that that was where I was like, I would almost rather not be sponsored. I was like 100%. because I was like, when I'm not sponsored, is like nobody cares, like if I'm injured or if I'm racing next month, like you just like, when you're injured, you take care, you can take care of the injury, take your time getting back in shape and then race again. But when you're sponsored, even if you have a supportive sponsor, who's like, Hey, we get it. We don't want you to feel pressure to race or to rush through injury. Even if they say that it's still, you still feel like you need to deliver. Cause it's like, everybody else has like, you know, when you're any other job, it's like you're uh, expected to show up from like nine to five and do your job and perform well. Right? right. But like with the way like we perform well, at least in my mind, primarily is by performing well in races. Yeah. And, you know, I know there's social media and there's like your past results and the following you've built and all that. But to me, that's all kind of like, that's, that's all kind of a like, job. Extra, yeah. like extra. It's like, that th- that's great but i don't want to be the athlete who's just like riding my yeah. prior accomplishments
0: secondary if a company to is, yeah secondary yeah. to the, the task at hand which is continuing yeah. to perform yeah
1: if a company is paying me um then i feel like i should be performing and so like i was just like and i think i might have said it to people during the process just like really stinks to feel like you're bad at your job because it's just like i you couldn't really I couldn't really do my job so that's pretty much the definition of being bad at my job is being unable to do my job and that was like that was that that was really crummy like I did not I did not enjoy that like um and then there's like and there's the side of me that's like well if I ever get to the point where I feel like I don't deserve this support anymore you know I, I would kind of I would like to think that I could graciously step aside and let some other upcoming athlete have that support and be like, yeah. Hey, look, don't pay me this anymore because I can't do it. Like I can't yeah, I do it anymore. If you want to send me free gear, that's fine. But like, give this to somebody else. Um, but there's that side of me, you know, that's like, but I don't feel like I'm done yet. Like yeah. I feel like I can still earn this paycheck. I just can't do it right now, but that's an awkward place to be where it's like, I don't want to give this up yet. Cause I don't feel like I'm done. Did you ever lose um, that at the hope? moment? I don't feel like I deserve it.
0: Did you ever lose that glimmer in the back of your head? Like after being injured for like a few years on end, was there ever a moment where you contemplated maybe I should just get a job as an HVAC serviceman and, <laughs> yeah. and, and put this um, part of my life in the rear view? Cause I'm sure there was some nah, temptation or some moments of just like, God, is this ever going to end?
1: I no. Nah, Not really. I think it was just always still there. Like, I was Mm -hmm. just like, I think I can still do this. Like, I think, you know, but, but then once I did get surgery and I did start to come back, um, there were some doubts like there, because there was a lot of fitness to be like relearned and regained, especially in the running format. Like I spent a lot of time on the bike and actually got like quite fit on the bike. I think I actually, before I, before I launched the bus, uh, I went on a hundred mile gravel ride with my surgeon. Actually, he, he invited mm-hmm. me to do this ride and we rode and there were like a lot of climbs and stuff It was in PA. And I he was like, Zach, you're like, you're strong. Like you're pretty fit. It's like, Oh, well, thanks. I've been working my butt off. Like I can't, I can't like, I can't like run as much, but like I've been working my butt off riding and stuff. Um, so but, like, then you start to get back to running, and like running just feels so hard, and like I would be in races, and it'd just be like like shorter races too, because my bread and butter is the ultra, but I wasn't even doing ultra. I was just I started out with shorter stuff, so you know, I feel like there were some days where it's like, do I still have this? like am I still good at this? Um, so there was like this question mark, but I did have a few per perform- I had one really sort of important performance. Like th- there's a, there's a race in my hometown, the Conestoga trail round that I've raced. I race pretty much every year. Um, and I've set the course record there. Like every year I've raced it and mm-hmm. it's like, it's, it's a really, it's a hard race. It's like, it's like how I know if I'm fit.
0: Yeah. Just and I raced
1: future. it. Yeah. I raced it I guess last year for the first time in several years and I was like, I did not know if I had it to like get close to my old times. Um, and I, I didn't, I didn't get my, I didn't break my record, but I was within like 40 seconds uh, of a race that takes like an hour and 22 minutes. Uh, so I was within like 40 seconds and I was just like, and that was a big moment. I was like, okay, I'm like, I haven't lost it. Like I've said, that was my second fastest time. Yeah. Uh, ever on that course and I, I've run it during some really good years of my career. So, um that was that was helpful, but still like going to Andorra and stuff, the the whole ultra thing, it was all like still a bit of a question mark um because I just hadn't done it for so long.
0: Yeah. Incredible man. Well, it's so good to have you back. We'll we'll get around to talking about Andorra here shortly, but maybe just give us a glimpse into this rehab process so far since your surgery because it's been since I think you said in your post December of 2020 so it's been a year and a half now and of course it has not been linear um and there have been a lot of moments where you question whether you can get back to the the same Zach Miller type fitness so maybe just paint the picture of what the last 18 months have looked like and uh what that whole rehab process has entailed
1: uh Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like not linear is exactly right. Um, I mean, you come out of surgery and you know, you hope it will be like, Oh, wake up and the pain will be gone. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I know enough to not expect that (laughs) entirely, but still it is slow. Like first there's just all the pain from like, uh, just surgery. Like, um, I mean, I, I didn't take the painkillers they gave me after surgery. They gave my surgeon gave them to me and he was like, don't be afraid to take them, you know. But I was like, I'm gonna see if I can not take them. And I was exactly. like and I had to run an alternate while so I was kind of due for a good dose of pain. So I just like didn't <laughs> just take my pain and <laughs> And the first like 20 hours were pretty excruciating. Wow. Um, it's amazing how much trauma like the surgery sounds simple. Like, oh, we'll slice open your heel, we'll go in there and like saw off this bone, and we'll it sounds easy. Yeah. It, there is so much pain that that causes the body when they do that. Um, and so like those first few 24 hours were pretty brutal, but then I got over that. And I was like doing stuff, but I mean, for a while, like I couldn't really do anything for a while. So it's kind of easy. Like I, I think I, I started doing like sit up like crunches cause I couldn't really work out. So I just started doing like, I don't know, like 30 minutes of core or something each day. Cause I was yeah. like, I can't do anything else. And then I think it was like Christmas day I got to like pedal the bike. Um and so I pedaled the bike um but I think before that actually what I did was before surgery I wanted to be prepared <laughs> to train so i went on facebook marketplace and i bought one of those like exercise bikes that has the arm things that also go <laughs> uh, you? you know like <laughs> yeah. when you pedal the arms also go so yes. if you don't pedal with your legs you can just pump it with your arms yeah yeah uh, and so i bought one of those for i don't know like 25 bucks on facebook marketplace <laughs> like this lady probably wondered what the heck i wanted it for <laughs> yeah and i put it in my parents basement and i would just go down in the basement and i would just pump my arms you See, know? this and is the just work
0: ethic it. man and this is where of started just, the convo yeah. You just don't
1: stop. Yeah. I would just sit there and like uh, put on like, I don't know, like I don't watch a lot of TV or movies, but I watched like a lot of stuff during that time. I would just put something on and I would just sit there and do my arms. And like um, I was I think that's when I got turned on to Ted Lasso. I like blew through the whole first season
0: of Ted lasso and uh, i still haven't gotten around to watching it people tell me it's amazing but oh you know i want I, I mean this is interesting right because like this again is so illustrative of the type of person you are you know that you just like go and you work and i wonder if in moments of introspection, if maybe that's one of the things that got you in trouble, like, have you reflected on that as somebody who's always been a super hard worker, a high volume trainer, like, is that then something that contributed to the injury? And like, have you learned from that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it contributed in the sense that I probably started having pain, and I probably just kept going. Um, I don't know that, like, I'm not like, necessarily of the opinion that just like doing, like, just doing high volume will make you broken, or just working hard will make you broken. But I think that type of like that doing the high volume and doing like all that work can get like addictive. Where that's like that becomes like I ha- I've learned that I ha- like so over the years, I think I've noticed that I have to watch myself because as I train, as I get stronger and stronger and fitter and fitter, I train more and more. And so I raised the bar of what I deem like product, like successful. Uh. Like what makes me feel like, like, you know how, like, if you run, like, say you run like every day, like two miles, three miles, and that makes you feel like uh, accomplished for the day. You go out and do your three miles. Okay. Now I feel accomplished. You know, well, I feel like I got to the point where it was like, you know, it's like if, you know, running like, three hours made me feel accomplished but if I ran like an hour or an hour and a half you know like unless it was like a schedule scheduled scheduled, like recovery day you know I might not it it was like I needed my fix like I it doesn't necessarily have to be three hours but it's like but I think that was the danger is that just kind of my level of like what was acceptable to feel accomplished kind of crept up over the years and then it's like you know and then and then the other danger is when you don't win a race. Uh, because when you win a race, you feel like you're doing enough. You're like, okay, what I'm doing is working. Yeah. So then you're more willing to like, you feel like you're okay. You have your confidence. So after the race, you're more willing to rest. Mm -hmm. And then when you come back in, you're more willing to like, maybe follow like a sensible progression back into training. But like when you start losing or missing your goals, then you're always like, well, now I got to catch up. Like yeah. I got to catch up to gotta this guy. Harder. I got to do, I got to work harder. And I think, and and sometimes that might be true, but I think a lot, but what you have to be careful of is it's not necessarily the case. And you can work yourself into a problem, I think, um, both like mentally and physically, because you're just kind of like forcing things rather than following like Rather than following the process, and and you get too caught up on like metrics and paces, and like I got to do this many miles or this many hours or this this when I run I yeah. just got to be at this pace, and it just gets very dangerous. um Yeah, it's just so one like, of
0: those things where like your greatest strength is your work ethic, probably, but also sometimes yeah, our greatest like, strengths sort of like put us in a corner sometimes or lead to negative consequences, don't they?
1: Yeah. So yeah. So for me, like I think back to the injury, I think. Yeah, that work ethic probably got me in trouble uh, largely in that there were warning signs that I just kept pushing past. Mm -hmm. Now, had I had I been like, seen a warning sign and backed off, let things recover for like a week, a couple weeks or a month, you know, and then went back to the working hard, I think I might have been okay. But yeah, I think probably like, there were things that weren't right. And I just didn't really like, you know, I just I didn't really know how to fix them. And they didn't necessarily stop me in my tracks. So I just kind of kept going. But then eventually, that's just a crummy thing. And eventually you are stopped in your tracks.
0: So well, we all learn lessons, man. Well, maybe last question on this period before we transition and talk about this fantastic triumphant victory and coming through this dark period in the post it's fairly powerful when you mention that night of prayer. I don't know if this is a weird thing to ask, but I've always known that you've been, you know, a man of faith and I'm not a religious person myself per se, but definitely appreciate the mystery and serendipity of life and the universe. And I wonder if you could talk about that moment and and maybe how just like your spiritual life has had maybe evolved through this dark period.
1: Um, Yeah. Yeah. I can talk about it. Um, my,
0: yeah, definitely
1: faith is, is a, is a part of my life and it's something that has been a part of my life pretty much all my life, I guess. Um, it has definitely, it has definitely like sort of, I don't know, maybe you'd say changed or the way I think about it has maybe changed, uh, over the years. Like I look back to my high school or college self and I'm like, whoa, I am not, I do not see things the same way. Huh. Um, I have a lot more, I ask a lot more questions. I read books. I like, you know, I'm just like, you know, I maybe wrestle with things more, um, have maybe a lot more like uncertainties now where it's like in the past would be like, well, no, this is what I believe. And yeah. now I'm like, well, I don't know, man. I don't know about that. Like, you know, that seems kind of whack, like, you know, um, or I can't prove that. So like, Where am I with that? But I think, uh, specifically to this in the injury process, the one big thing for me was like, I was just like hurt for so long. And like growing up, it was, been like, that would have always been something you would have prayed about. And like, I think even through the process, my mom and dad were probably praying like the whole time, like, Oh, we're praying for you, you know, that your foot gets better And I think I just got like, I can have actually a pretty cynical side sometimes. And I think Mm -hmm. I got to this point where I I, I was just kind of like, well, why? I I kind of felt funny praying about my injury because I was like, why? I was like, there are so many problems in the world. I'm like, there's people that are starving, there's wars, there's like pandemics, there's like, there's so many big problems. And I'm like, I'm just a runner who can't really run like what's. Like I'm not saying that like there's not a God that cares about me, but I'm just saying like of all the things in the world to fix, like that can't be very high on the (laughs) toe. It's down the priority list. Yeah. Like I kind of felt selfish like asking, you know, for help with that. Yeah. Um and so, so that was one part of it. And then um but at the same time, I just like I you know, I just like I don't know, I just like I still, like, I never, like, walked, like, I may have, like, questioned things, but the faith was still always part of things, and, you know, I didn't necessarily feel fully, you know, I I, I had those doubts about, like, is this something I should be praying for, you know, Um, but, like, I don't know. I think I still do. I don't did know, but it, it, pray I, I about think it's it illustrative
0: of like, sometimes you just have to sort of like surrender, like the yeah. control, you know, and just like ask for help from the universe. Like I think yeah. every person I, who listens to this, whether they're religious or not can identify with that feeling, you know? Yeah.
1: I, and I think to that moment in Andorra, it was just like, uh, I was like, I was very stressed. Cause I had like, I, I, I mean, I was trying to get into UTMB this year because I had ran out of all qualifications yeah. um, and I was just like, look, like, you know, and I was like, look, like I just want, a, like I've been emailing with the organization and I was just like, look, like what do I need to do to get in? Like I just need a way, like I don't need like, I don't need like, or I don't need a way. It's just like, I'm hope there's a way and uh, I don't need like a free pass. I just like, tell me what I need to do and I'll try and do that and so you know, they were like, okay, well, there's these races on the circuit, and if you place, you know, top three at this one or top ten at that one, or you can get in. And I was like, okay, I was like, good, that's all I need. Like, I just, I need a shot, and so my shot was gonna be uh, Canyon's hundred k, and then I messed up my hip, and so that didn't happen. So then I was like, okay, plan B, and went to Andor and picked Andorra instead, um, and. Yeah. So there was kind of a lot riding on it. It was pretty much my only shot because everything else after that is kind of getting too close to UTMB or it's too long or whatever. Um, And I had flew to France to do stuff with the North face um, for like a week. And when I went over, my foot was like really cranky and I ran on it for like a few days. Um, And uh, like I could run well, but I just like, it was painful. And I was just like I was supposed my plan was to go there and then go to Andorra, yep. train and then race. And then my foot was I'm like I'm basically injured now and I'm in Europe and like what like what am I gonna do? I thought about just getting on a plane and going home. Um
0: but, but yeah, instead, I, you surrender I, to the universe and you ask yeah, for some Yeah, no. I, I, no. I got
1: to Andorra and I was alone. I went, I went from being with my teammates to being all alone uh, in a Jeep renegade with a rooftop tent, just like driving around the country of Andorra, like camping <laughs> uh, up high at altitude. And I yeah, I got super stressed. And like, yeah, one night I was like, because I had actually started trying to run again. I had taken days off, started trying to run again. I did one or two rounds, and the pain was like, still, like, I was, still had pain, and I was like, what the, hu-? like, I was just so stressed, and I finally was just, like, yeah, I was just praying one night, and I was just, like, I was just, like, help, basically, like, help. help, like, I didn't even say, help. like, I wasn't even, like, you know, I was just basically just help, um, I, it was a pretty low, low moment, um, but also a very, like, real moment, and a very, yeah, like, I'll maybe, yeah, like, I might remember that for the rest of my no, life, I like, mean, how, you can feel
0: in this Instagram post. So you can totally just feel just the, I don't know, authenticity of that desperation, right? Of just like, I just need some help here. Like I'm at the doorstep of having my opportunity to come back. I've put in years of rehab and work. I've got the surgery. Like this is who I am, what I wanna be doing and I just need some help. Freetrail is grateful for the support of Jolbo Eyewear, the best sunglass brand in the game. I've been fortunate to work with these guys for probably seven or eight years at this point. Jolbo was born in the mountains of France way back in 1888 and they have been a leader in mountain sport eyewear ever since. Jolbo's special sauce lies in the photochromic reactive lenses that adjust to lighting conditions getting lighter or darker depending on the intensity of the natural light it's really just an amazing product you put them on and you keep them on no matter if you're in the shade in variable lights or full-on bluebird conditions the glasses adjust for you so you don't have to my two favorite models are the ultimate and the fury so go check these out the ultimate is more of an exposed lens athletic look where the fury is more of a shield design, but both are under 27 grams. So extremely lightweight and high performance. Best sunnies in the trail biz. Go check out the products at jolbo.com. Use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off your purchase. jolbo.com, code FREETRAIL10. Important note, this discount does apply to prescription shades, but does not apply for those outside the US. Apologies to our international listeners, but big thanks to Jolbo. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition, the first brand to believe in our fledgling operation. Gnarly makes the best nutrition products on the market for outdoor and mountain sport athletes, top to bottom. Everything is first class. Much like the people that work for the company, you've heard me talk about the Fuel2O Drink Mix, the BCAAs, the Performance Greens. Well, today I wanna tell you about the Gnarly Hydrate Electrolyte Mix. Harmony, my wife, will tell you I am obnoxious and annoying about hydration. I suspect most athletes walk around at least moderately dehydrated day to day. And I think improving hydration status is the simplest thing that you can do to improve your performance. Of course, improving hydration is not just about drinking more water. You also need minerals and electrolytes, which the gnarly hydration mix has in spades. Loaded with electrolytes and B vitamins, Gnarly Hydrate has everything you need to keep your muscles and brain fully engaged to power through your time on the trails and in your daily life. As usual, you can get 15% off your purchase of Gnarly Hydrate and any of their other amazing products by visiting gonarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15. Back to the show. So let's talk about the race now because (laughs) help arrived in some form, whether it was, you know, the cosmos or, you know, some spiritual being, but... (laughs) you won the damn race and it was so awesome. You know, when I saw the update, of course, this is Western States weekend too. So I was sort of occupied with other things. Not really. Yeah, there was a lot going on that. Yeah, there was, (laughs) but um, I guess, you know, you mentioned how the race ended up on your radar and it was, you went with the express purpose of punching that ticket to UTMB, but maybe just uh, set the context of what the race is just maybe provide some stats or description of the character of the event for the audience.
1: Yeah, the the race is fantastic. I mean, Andorra, you know, for American listeners, like probably most of us don't even know that it's a country. Um, <laughs> but Andorra is a tiny little country wedged between France and Spain. I think it's about twenty six miles across, um, and it's just not it's nothing but mountains. It's just it's the Pyrenees, um, and so in Andorra, there's basically two directions: there's up and there's down, and that's about it. Um, the, the 65 mile race had my, my watch said 22,000 feet of climbing. Um, so if you do the math, it's, it's more per mile than UTMB. I don't know. It's a ton more, but it is more. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, uh, the course is magnificent. Like I, I spent, I spent time there when my foot did, you know, start to come around and stuff. I, I recon the whole course. I saw the whole course. Um, and I by the time race day came, I was like, I just want to go run this course, like yeah. all in one go. Like, yeah. I mean, usually it's like, you know, you're competitive and all that, but it's like part of it was just like, I want to get out there and run through all of this beautiful terrain in one shot. Um, and yeah, it's it was fantastic course. It's technical. There's some cruiser sections. Um, but yeah, there's definitely some technical stuff. Um and yeah, re- really, really great uh, first for, and they don't waste time. Like first you start in Ordino <laughs> at 4,000 feet. And the first climb takes you to the highest point in, in Andorra at 9,000 9, 9, feet. I'm looking so at your you're Strava just right now. It like 5,000 feet out the gate. <laughs> and then, and then you drop to 3,000. So you basically drop 6,000 feet. Although they do make you do a climb in the midst of that yeah. somewhere. You like go down, come back up. And then after that, that's like mile 20 ish, 21 ish, I think. It's like 23, it looks like. And then you do a 6,000 foot climb out of there. Uh, Silly, silly, silly. and then that's fit that and that's about halfway when you get the top of that 6,000 foot climb.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm looking at your Strava now, and I'll post this in the show notes. I'll provide a link to our listening audience, but about 66 miles, about 22,000 feet of climbing. And just like thinking off the top of my head here, so it's about 15K shorter than the Lavareto course, but I think takes about two and a half hours longer for the winter. Yeah. So yeah, it's shorter, it, but much, much slower than Lavareto. So it definitely looks like it's a, a brutal, but spectacular race.
1: Yeah, it's, it's an, uh, it's an awesome, definitely awesome race. I highly recommend it. Like I put it up there similar to like Madeira, mm. Madeira Island Ultra Trail. I think it's, it's a similar style to that. Um, minus the stairs. It's not mm. really stairs. This is all basically like, not like, Like, yeah, like rocks and stuff like boulders and stuff like that. So, so um,
0: we have to know, though, man, so like, you're on the start line, your foot feels well enough, you know, you've got at least some confidence, but I'm sure there was still some doubts in the back of your head. The last time you'd stood at the start line of an ultra marathon was 2019 UTMB, or did you have a, a balance of feelings of excitement and insecurity? Because we all know that you race with like such a courageous style typically. And I, I wondered if like maybe some of that courage or confidence was tempered by a feeling of insecurity or, uh, you know, maybe lack of confidence based on everything you'd been through.
1: Um, Yeah. I think there was a mix of excitement and like nervousness. Um, again, I, there were question marks. I didn't know. I hadn't pushed my foot, you know, for that long, uh, yet. So I didn't know if the foot would hold up. Um, I, I actually had a, I actually had a little hamstring tweak too. Very minor, very minor, but it's like on base to you when everything perfect. And I had like, I injured my hamstring back in JFK one year, And ever since it, like, it kind of, it kind of tweaks easier than the right side. And so like, that was actually on my mind. I was like, cause I was like, man, if that thing goes, it like, it's going to be like, it's not going to be ideal for like climbing and descending. And then I was like, and I like, if I run, if it goes and I continue running on it, I know it's going to potentially be really bad for it by the end. Uh, So I was just like wanting it to help pulled up but it it, it did so, I was okay so did um, you
0: race in typical Zach Miller fashion where you put um, pressure on the field early you know pre-fontaine yeah, of not, ultra running I would say not strictly
1: so um, um Sebastian Krogvik was on the line next to me um and he he had won TDS um great Norwegian athlete and, yeah. yeah and uh and Christopher Clemente was in there and he's really good at coming from behind. So I was scared of him because I was like, oh, he d- has just like sit back there and reel you in after you've like foolishly gone out too fast because he's done that to me before. Um, and now uh, Sebastian uh, was next to me on the start line and he was like, so he's like, he's like usual plan, like, you know, like <laughs> I'm gonna like sprint from the gunner. And I was like, or like hard right away or whatever. I was like, I was like, well, I was like, eventually I was like, I thought like, 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 you know, that I didn't plan to go, you know, super hard right away. Um, Cause I did kind of, you know, I wanted that UTMB spot and Mm -hmm. I think my approach was a little different. Um, I had seen all the course, I knew what was coming and yeah, no, I didn't really, I, I kind of sat back in the, in the first stretch, I kind of just sat behind the first three guys. I mean, we're talking like the first mile and just kind of like watched them. And then when we got to the climb, we, you know, we got the, the poles came out and like, I also knew that though, maybe I would just climb faster and I don't necessarily want to climb slow just to climb slow. Um, so Sebastian and I just kind of naturally, uh pulled away on the climb uh but not i wasn't like i wasn't trying to i think i pretty much hiked that whole climb like i basically just tried to stay behind sebastian and go like as easy as i could without like losing him yeah Uh, you know so like he would sometimes run and i would just keep hiking because i was like well i can you know i can cover this same pace at a hike so, so it, seems
0: like, my legs. it seems like you guys spent much of the race together. Where did you ultimately establish the separation and the gap that you held? in the Yeah. Fair?
1: So my friend who was screwing me, we had talked some strategy before the race. Um, and he wanted, he definitely wanted me to be controlled, like to endure La Vella, which was like around mile 20 or so right before that 6,000 foot climb. And then we were like, maybe you can push, like, maybe push some on that 6,000 foot climb. Cause if you can, if you can pull away there, that's a good chance to get some, some, some breathing room. So when we, so Sebastian and I ran together to Andorra La Vella and then at Andorra La Vella, I decided I'd, I'd push the gas pedal a little and see what happened. Um, and I did get like an initial gap, like initial gap, but not much. Um, and then he was like, he was like right behind he came up right behind me i was like okay he hasn't really he hasn't shaken off so then we just kind of so then we just climbed together basically all the way up Mm. um he got me a little on the technical descent um to uh grow uh but like he got but then um i'm trying to think but then i i reeled him back in on the way uh like basically kind of up the next climb and then we ran together again until about mile i think about mile 40 and then that was where the natural break happened i mm-hmm. like that in a race I don't, so i often probably try to force it but i do like when the separation just comes naturally yeah um as if like you didn't really change much and the break just the you know there just became separation yeah. So um around mile forty, I sensed that he was struggling a bit and I was feeling like I could go a bit. And um there was a steep climb and I went and I got um I didn't go like crazy hard. Yeah, I just, just kind of went steady and put I put a little away. bit of
0: a move and he's yeah, going kind of down.
1: Yeah, and then I pulled away and I kind of got that natural separation and Then he near, he basically reeled me in at the last aid station. I, I didn't know he was so close. Um, no way. (laughs) Yeah. So like I, there's a really big climb at the end of the race that takes you back up to like 8,000 feet, you know, one last dagger in your heart. And, uh, When going up, you can see way back behind you. So I was looking back and I couldn't see anybody behind me. So I was like, okay, I think I have a big lead. But when I got up to the top, it was like a ghost town. There's nobody up there basically, except maybe a couple hikers. Yeah, And uh, I... My legs were just like trash. They did not want to run downhill. And I had to run down forty five
0: hundred foot descent. I'm looking at I had to run downhill.
1: And I was like, and I was just running and I was looking back. I was like, I still couldn't see anybody. So I was like, okay, I'm just gonna try and like keep keep moving as well as I can. And I got the aid station and like my legs were just like they they were really struggling to run Mm downhill. And I got the aid station, I was standing there. I was like, sort of taking my time like I wasn't really being like foolishly inefficient but I was just like I was not like racing racing through the eight and um I started chatting with the people there. I was like I was like how am I doing and the girl was like oh you're doing wonderful and then the other guy goes he's like yeah and second is right there and he points across the way you know, and I'm thinking I have maybe like a 20, I don't know what I thought, but maybe like a 20-minute gap or so. Yeah. And he points across the way and Sebastian's like coming down through <laughs> oh the grass, God. like across the river into the aid station. And I was like, I thought maybe they're joking. I was like, yes. I was like, I was like, no. I was like, you're serious. And they're like, yeah, we're serious. I was like, no. I was like, you're are you joking? And they're like, no. And I was like, you're serious. You're serious? <laughs> and, and then like, right before I left, I was like, shoot, I gotta go. And right before I left, I like looked at the guy one more time. And I was like, you're not joking. And he's like, no. And I just took off and I couldn't believe it. It was like night and day. I like, I think it was the address, like, just, I think it yes. was just like a mental thing. And I just took off and all of a sudden I was running like I remember looking down at my watch and I think I was running like six 30 pace or something. And I was like, and I was like, Zach legs, Miller is I'm back, not, dude. The I'm switch sure. has
0: flipped. The competitive instincts, yeah. the juices are flowing again.
1: Yeah. I was like, I'm not just running well. I was like, I, my legs actually feel good. Like yeah. I'm running downhill and they feel good. And we went into a technical downhill and I was like, well, I don't, cause we were on like gravel road. And I was like, well, I don't know how they'll feel in the technical though. So we went in there and I ran, I felt like I ran through the whole technical section faster than I did in training. Yeah, And then wow. I was back to like the bike path. And then I just kind of, and then it was just kind of cru- cruised home. But
0: like, yeah, it, it was ultimately amazing. It was like 16 minutes at the end or something like that. Yeah. And, but
1: it was like three minutes at that aid station. Yeah, Like I, and that was like, 10 or 11 K out. I mean, it's, uh, again,
0: it's just like a perfect illustration of just like classic Zach Miller, man, just like <laughs> never give up. So what does it feel like then Zach, after this three years of just like absolute uncertainty, misery, sadness, hard rehab surgery, etc., to then close this massive loop, sprint down the finish line and classic Zach Miller fashion, securing a victory again on an international stage. Like when you reflect on the journey in these last few weeks, like what does it feel like to, to be back competing at the highest level again?
1: Yeah, it, it, it feels good. Uh, you know, again, it was one race. So I think I'm, I'm maybe I'll always a little prone to be like, okay, can I, can I repeat it? You know, cause to me, that's kind of like, like, that's when I entered the sport winning JFK. It was like, okay, I won run race, but like, can I do it again? And then once I did again, it was like, okay, yeah, I guess I'm like, I'm like, I'm good at this or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, yeah, but no, it feels good. Like it's a big relief. Uh, it helps my confidence. It helps, I think in the training of, of not feeling quite so much pressure of like, Oh, I got to like work harder and work harder and work hard. I mean, I'm still working hard. Like that's what I like to do, but I think there's a little more like, you know, like I can be a little more, um, I don't know, maybe do things a little, little smarter, a little more confidently, you know? Um, so that feels really good, but you know, honestly, the thing that feels really, really good is to basically just be able to go out and run and train and not be in so much pain anymore. Now, I mean, granted, I do still have like, it's, it's a process and I Mm -hmm. do still have some pain. Uh, and I, you know, I do still like, you know, it's not like, it's just like over, over, but like, I'm, but it's like, I'm moving forward and like finding my way through it. And that feels like, it used to just be like kind of dreaded I wanted to run, but I kind of dreaded running because the first step always hurt so much. Uh, and now it's like, or even just like getting up out of a chair and walking across the room. Like I didn't want to do that. Like, because it just hurt to, yeah. you know, and I knew it was going to hurt. So, um, like, and just to not have as much of that or to have that to a much lesser degree is great. Like, like, like last night, I like, um, yesterday was kind of busy and I was like, just kind of like, jumping into my runs without like you know you know doing my all my usual warm-up stuff but it was like wow I actually did that and actually went well like I didn't have to spend like 30 minutes getting Getting things warmed up you know and then and like I did a morning actually it was like I slept in so I did like an afternoon run like a shorter afternoon run and then I did an evening run and it was like oh they were both good like I wasn't like my feet, my foot yeah. wasn't all cranky from the afternoon run. You know, when it got to the evening, it was like, no, it actually felt good on both of them. So, yeah, um, that's just really nice. Just be able to go out and enjoy a run. I, I talked to John Albin. Uh, I, I hung out with. I him just had him on the show. And, we talked about. Yeah.
0: We talked about you on on the yeah on the episode.
1: It, we talked a lot uh, when we were in Annecy together. Just like. I don't know. Maybe our teammates were sick of us. Like we talked so much training and stuff like (laughs) Mike, Mike foot found us like it. I don't know, nine o'clock at night in the kitchen or something. there be just talking about training. Um, And uh, anyways, though, he's, he's, he's a great guy. And I really like listening to like his brain and, uh, you know, he seems very intelligent and very thoughtful about how he trains. And he told me about his foot, Injury that he had um, with the bones in his foot. And one thing he mentioned was that just like running is fun again because, like, I think before his surgery, it was just like running was just painful. Yeah. And he was just like training. So, like, everything was just like training, but it wasn't necessarily fun. It was like, a, it was. Like workouts on the bike, you know, or some other cross-training activity. Yeah, you know, now or, that you say uh, you know, this
0: too, he said that he got his operation during COVID also. So yeah, you both yeah, sort he of did took advantage of that lull in the competitive season yeah. Uh, to yeah, get the the work done. And now you're you're both sort of at the top of your game, it seems like. Anyway, yeah, I didn't so, mean to cut you off there if you're
1: no, it's good. It was just like it sounded like he had a similar experience, basically, just that like running wasn't fun anymore because it was so painful. Like, you know, if he was running, it was like just to get a workout in, you know, and it was just like pushed through the pain. Yeah. He said that uh,
0: basically he just like spent all winter on skis because of the fact that his foot was at a point where he could basically not run anymore after the summer running season. So
1: yeah that yeah. he
0: finally got that operation and now he's able to enjoy running a little bit more. And
1: yeah. also and now just he's... like
0: coming back around to like trusting your body again, after yeah. these injuries and having confidence in your feet, especially has got to be just such a big feeling of relief. So yeah, look ahead, looking ahead towards uh, UTMB now, you did successfully capture that ticket into the race. What are your goals, and what does training look like, and where's your head at as you look ahead towards the, the most important race of the season?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm you know I'm you know I I want to finish as high as I can there. Um, I mean, I'm a competitive person, so you know I you know when you watch a race, you want there to be a group of guys all up there, you know, trying to beat each other, you know, trying to go for the win. So like, and that's what I like to do. And, you know, that's, you know, that's like, you know, I guess ultimately that's what I want to try and do is, you know, be in that fight for, you know, just to be in that battle for for the win. I, you know, it's anybody's day out there. Um, so yeah, you you don't know what's gonna happen, but I wanna prep myself to like be in that battle. Um, and yeah. And I think I'd like to like, hopefully really enjoy the race. Um, although at some point it's probably not going to be very enjoyable after a while. I mean, like even Indoor, which went really well after a while was just not really enjoyable. Like that was one of my primary thoughts during that race is I just kept thinking like, why is the thing I'm so good at have to hurt so bad?
0: Like, <laughs> or like so, why did I want to get through injury just to do this to myself again? <laughs> like Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, yeah, it's it's really kind of wild. So is, like, I mean What yeah, does prep just, look like then for you? Like if you're thinking about, you know, putting yourself in that mix to beat yeah. the fight and now coming off this big 14 hour effort, I'm sure you had a little bit of recovery and you're now like based in in Colorado again for at least the next few weeks or whatever. What is, what does prep look like with as much detail as you can provide?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, it's different for me because usually I would have raced much earlier in the year. I would have, I usually learn to race around the time of like Madeira uh, you know, that like April, May time period, and then have a nice buildup to UTMB. Um, but this is kind of, this is a little tight. This is tight for me. It is tight. This is tight for me. I mean, mm-hmm. big effort at the end of June, same weekend with Western States, and then you try and turn around for UTMB. Um, so yeah, it's, a, it's, di- it's different. It's a bit nerve wracking. I like a long buildup and this is kind of like a, a recover. And then, a like sort of a speed build and then and then punch it um so we'll see how it works i mean i've really haven't gotten utm be right any other year anyways so like mean, maybe speed build this, like uh just kind of like um well just kind of like you're gonna have like four like you're gonna have like four-ish quality weeks to like work with okay. and like what you want to get done oh, okay. you just get done in that chunk, and
0: yeah, you don't I mean, have it's, like a twelve-week block, you've got an abbreviated block, as well. Yeah, you, like, you, I like you meant you, like you're you're working on your speed or something like that.
1: Oh no, no, I just mean this. Like, it's kind of like you want to get this good, solid UTMB training in, but you got to do it in like four weeks. Yeah, and you know, it's like you know, I don't have all the training answers. It's like, okay, do you start? Do you start slow and just gradually build it and get like one big week at the end and hope that's enough or do you try and put in like four big weeks because yeah. you kind of already have your fitness like i you know like i skied all winter i build a big engine you know i went in i did indora so like that's the thing like once you do your first race then you're kind of like hopping from one to the next you already have this big base of fitness so you recover and then it's almost like you know it's almost like you can jump i don't know if you it, it's trial and error like yeah testing things with training but it's like the temptation is like okay can i jump in at a bit higher volume because i already kind of have all this strength and fitness and then just kind of go rather than starting down at like a really low volume and building back up again um you know like sometimes you know maybe you can kind of just like um you know kind of like ramp it a little quicker which is like it's it's nerve-wracking because you're like i don't want to get hurt i don't want to break the training rules yeah but again like there's all you know there's all you you just kind of like try stuff and you know see what works and what doesn't and like i know that like i i think i've felt i don't really study other people's training really or not too much but i have gotten the impression that like from my like that like Francois Francois will have these like big swings like he'll like no. if you look at his training he'll have these moments where it's like I'm so barely, fascinated by you're, his training. you're barely doing yeah. anything and you're supposed yeah. to race 100 miles in like six weeks
0: and then boom like he just <laughs> starts <laughs> doing stuff
1: and then he and then he does a big race or he does a big there's FKT, like three and seven like, hour
0: runs in a week yeah and yeah, it's like weeks in a row and then and he's it's like ratty.
1: yeah and it's like whoa it's like how do you do that? Because that breaks like all the rules of what I'm I was fascinated. Taught, I'm fascinated by his approach.
0: I but, totally resonate with his approach too, but this is interesting, Zach. And yeah, you're right. Like, especially in ultra running, there isn't a rubric or a template that you can just copy paste. Because then I, I listened to Iron Far's interview with Killian Journey before Hard Rock 2. And what Killian was saying was that he was doing big volume, but he was doing short and faster intervals so that he uh-huh. had the volume to get through hard rock, but he still had the speed to then do Sears and all between yeah. hard rock and UTMB. Yeah. So he's like thinking about all three races in context and, and training yeah. almost for all three at the same time, which I thought was just totally fascinating. Yeah,
1: And our sport is fascinating like that because yeah. the races we do are so varied. And it's like, how do you, how do you get ready for all of them you know, and it's just like, it's a very, it's not like we're just running 10 K or we're just running road marathon, you know, and, and the athletes who do that aren't necessarily just doing that either. But like, I feel like sometimes maybe there's, there's more of maybe a bit more of a, like a, a focus, lasered focus where ours is like, it can be quite dynamic. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just trying to figure that out. But I, it's like, yeah, it's like I, I guess in, in this little like shorter build, it's like I I I kind of like maybe cast some hope in that maybe that Francois method, maybe there's something to it because it's there like it is. you there know, I, and, and so it's like maybe you don't need maybe maybe my problem in the past was a too long of a build and I was just tired by the end, you know, and maybe it's just like it can get there and just kind of like, you know get to peak quickly, but then like be at peak rather
0: than past peak. I think what he always does is he leaves his best effort for race day, you know? Yeah. And I think we can all learn from that because even at Hard Rock, and maybe we can use this as our sort of closing discussion because I know you were there, but at Hard Rock, you know, we were getting reports that Francois's stomach had turned in your ray, which is about halfway Uh in this direction. And so I was thinking like, oh my goodness, like Francois is sick halfway through, like he's finally going to have a hundred mile race where it goes sideways and he's going to have to dig and it's not going to be easy for him. (laughs) And then fast forward, he still finishes in 2151 under 22 hours. He battles through 90 miles against Killian and he's still just like even when it goes wrong halfway, he still is just so good. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he just like his consistency can be attributed to the fact that he always leaves that, that special effort for when it matters most. And I think a lot of people miss that when they train for a super long period of time and they just like, you know, go full gas all the time. in training is like, it's hard to then have that, Deep energy that you need at the end. So maybe, maybe in closing, you can, you can expand on my thought there, but also. Any uh highlights from your week at Hard Rock? I know that you guys were serving pancakes out of uh the Zack Shack. Uh Yeah, the, yeah, we band. we
1: almost we almost got shut down by the police but uh uh <laughs> criminal <laughs> no, pancake we,
0: distributors in town. No, we we
1: were like we we slung uh I, I but I wasn't there in my defense. So I wasn't there for the pancakes. I yeah. was pacing Maggie for 14 <laughs> hour, hours. I was like uh but um yeah, we slung quesadillas at Uray. Um The bus was set up like right on the course. We didn't give them the runners, of course, but like the fans <laughs> and people. And uh, then, uh, yeah, and then I went to Pace Maggie. Um, I was like, she picked me up at like I, I, at like 7.30 a.m. And she's not having a good day. And she's like, Are you sure you want to do this? She's like, you don't have to do this. It's going to take all day. Yeah. And I was like, no, I was like, I'm going to do it. And then like 14 hours later, we rolled into, into, into Silverton and I was about dead. Um, but anyways, they, yeah, then my buddies had, they, they had the keys to the bus and they just flung pancakes in uh, Silverton. Um, and yeah, I guess the cops showed up because they were like, oh, we got some complaints about like an unauthorized food truck. Uh, and they were like, well... You want a free pancake? <laughs> <laughs> and they were None like, well, they were like flapjack. Yeah, they're, they were like, well, we're really just making these pancakes and giving them out to for free <laughs> to people. And he was like, oh, so you're not uh selling anything? And they were like, no, which we weren't. And they were like, he was like, oh, okay, then you're cool.
0: <laughs> and so they loved us a lot. What about um, uh, on the but, competitive side, like being there? It was a historic race, obviously. Killian, Francois, yeah. Dakota, Courtney. Any any inspiration taken from being at Hard Rock this uh, year? I was so was, bummed to miss was, out. It was great to see
1: Dakota up there crushing a hundred mile race. Like I feel like I remember hearing him back in the day, being like, "Maybe hundred milers aren't, just aren't for me." You know, like he crushed yeah. fifty milers Just a tough, phenomenal athlete, um, but he just you know like the hundreds, you know, I, I, like, I don't even know if he was really enjoying them, you know, uh, maybe he was, uh, but so to see him up there, just like toe to toe with Francois and Killian. And like, I think they, he was only like 15 minutes back of Francois and he was like 15. I mean, he had a 12 minute
0: lead at one point I'm talking to (laughs) him tomorrow. So we're going to do a podcast too. so So I can't get to hear about it yeah
1: it was good to see him up there it was great to see killian and francois doing their thing um i think uh it was fun to see john kelly rip down uh grant swamp pass because he ran down like probably the fastest of anyone that i I saw um and then uh yeah the ladies race it was you know it was courtney out front and it was awesome to see her having to, to get it done and crush that record um But then behind her, you know, it was, it was a big gap until second, but it was a great race going for second for a while. Um, and yeah, I mean, with Darcy and Stephanie case and, uh, Maggie was in there for like halfway and then she, and then she had trouble, but, but Hannah green, it was really cool to see her work her way up. Uh, with her, really, she, got bucket, so. she got a police yeah,
0: escort. She got a police escort when she came into town in Silverton. I local. heard that anyway. Yeah, super fun, man. So. I, I mean, I, you know, I think uh, the sport is better with you in it, and it's fun to just you know kind of chop it up about hard rock a little bit, but it's even more fun to just kind of like see you back, man. And it's like, I think we're all so looking forward to seeing you race at UTMB and it's always just so entertaining knowing that you always put your full self, your full spirit, your full body on the line. And it's something that we all aspire to. So congratulations on your recent run at Andorra and, uh, yeah, thanks for being open about this last, you know, few years of trials and tribulations. And I think, you know, when you look back at the end of your days, you'll be really proud with how you, you know, dealt with that that tough moment, and uh, even though it doesn't feel like it's totally over yet, hopefully it'll be something that that just builds character for you, and that yeah, and over the course of time, you look back on as uh, a massive learning experience and a, and a growth period in your life too. So, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Debo. There you have it, folks. More than. 130 episodes deep and we finally got Zach Miller on the podcast. What'd you think? Super grateful to Zach for his time. So great to have him back in the game, back on top of podiums where he belongs. Can't wait to see him race UTMB in just a few weeks. I can't believe it. It's already August. It's UTMB month right around the corner. Speaking of which, make sure you start thinking about your fantasy teams for UTMB. We'll play OCC, CCC, and UTMB itself. And we intend to have great prize packages on the line, like we did for Broken Arrow and Western States. So start thinking about your fantasy team. And if you are a brand and you want to be part of it, if you want to do some giveaways, hit me up, dylan at freetrail.com. Also, like I mentioned in the episode, I put Zach's Strava file from Andorra in the show notes. So go check that performance and that beast of a course when you have time. I kind of want to go do that one next year. A big thank you also is due to our sponsors Speedland, run speedland.com, grab a pair of the SLHSV, Jolbo, jolbo.com, use code free trail 10 for 10% off these amazing sunglasses. Gnarly Nutrition, go gnarly.com, use code free trail 15 for 15% off. This great sports nutrition brand. If you enjoy the show, it would mean a lot if you could share it with your friends, IRL or on social media, or if you're feeling especially inspired, please go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It takes 30 seconds, but it's massively helpful for the show. Okay. That's it for this one. More news coming from free trail soon, exciting things in the hopper. And we're so grateful that you are along for the ride as we try to turn this thing into something special. Appreciate and love you all. Talk soon, bye-bye.